welcome to Funny Business, a podcast for free thinkers. I'm Robbie Hicks. And I'm Lockie Bradford. And on today's episode, we have big bad Justin Dry. We're sniffing and we're swirling, Rob. What an episode. I'll give you the hot tip. This episode was not dry. It was hot. <laughs> you oh, like that or not? I like that. that. It was hot. It was hot. Justin Dry. Um, he shared some wisdom with us, didn't he? His journey's insane. I felt like we were sitting down with like a veteran. You know what I mean? Like he, he's just, he's seen it all. He's done... He's had the ups, the downs, the in-betweens, and he's just flying. He's changed from, um, what is it, founder, one of the co-founders to now like chief, what was it? Entrepreneur. Chief entrepreneur, mate. He's just looking into the future, mate. He's stargazing. He'll be, he'll be going to the moon soon. I'll put money on it. You reckon he's going to be up there with Bezos and... Uh... Branson. Bezos and Branson. I, I 100%. I reckon the Vino Mofo rocket is going up soon. Hey, Justin, thanks so much for jumping on and having a chat with us today. For those who are at home listening, who are you and what do you do? Thanks for having me, guys. I am Justin Dry. I am a co-founder of Vino Mofo, which is an online wine retailer that um, launched in Australia um, and uh, we went out to New Zealand and Singapore. I have always been a co-CEO up until a couple of years ago when I was sole CEO and I'm now, after hiring a CEO to do the day-to-day stuff, um, chief entrepreneur, which basically means I get to do all the fun shit. Chief entrepreneur. Oh, I knew it was something good. I, I couldn't remember, but yeah, I, I love that Do you reckon that's a job title that kids are going to grow up wanting to have <laughs> yes. now? Yes. Right, well, if, if, if my experience is anything to go by, yes. If they're like me, um, growing up, wanting to you know start stuff since I was a kid and starting lots of businesses along the way, but knowing that I'm not good at certain things like you know detail and daily day like ops and stuff, I'm like, it's the dream role. Oh, I reckon I can see some posters of you up in some kids' bedroom door, I reckon, <laughs> at the winery sniffing and swirling. I reckon that's 100%. Because I, I never knew, like, growing up, going through school, that this was a thing. And now I think, like, now that people understand, like, creating things and having fun and doing all that stuff, like, yeah. you can do that. You must feel fucking – it must feel good that you've been able to do that for yourself. Yeah, well, I, I'm the same as you. I, when I grew up – um, you know, business owners were kind of like salesy dudes. Yeah. And, you know, so like the guys that, you know, the sales guy, and uh, it, it certainly wasn't the same like recognition um, or esteem around, um, around like starting stuff. And so it certainly changed. Like even the support around entrepreneurship and startup communities and stuff, there's just none of that when I was a kid. So it was like you were just like, I knew I had to do it because I was always doing it. It was just in my DNA. I started my first business when I was like 10. And, and then, you know. What was that? Oh, was, Lemonade. Was, yeah, yeah, exactly. It was boring. It was um, car washing and lawn mowing. I was the annoying kid that knocked on your door and asked if I could do it for two bucks. Um, and I it actually built up to, I employed my first person when I was like 10 and a half. And it was my cousin. And because yeah, I, I, my, my, um, my client list got so big, I couldn't do it all myself. And um, I employed my cousin who, who I, this is affectionately as well, but it will be forever known as Lazy Ben um, because. <laughs> he was on the Colin Barris wages, huh? <laughs> <laughs> he was on the, um, he, he, was, he was more interested in going down to the shops for lollies than washing cars and mowing lawns, I'll tell you that much. Um, yeah, was, I, I yeah, how did you crack the whip that young? What, what were you saying? <laughs> Come on, I, mate. You know? I, I, I fired him. <laughs> see you lazy Ben see you <laughs> but so I, how did you go from like mowing lawns and washing cars to Vino Mofo oh, what's the gap hustler. it's what's in the, the DNA what were the steps 
so I, I, st- I kept starting stuff, to be honest. Like the next one, I was uh, I bought and sold Christmas trees. Um, so I was like, I went up to a Christmas tree farm, bought them wholesale, sold them on the street um, at a busy kind of intersection. And so that was another business I did. And then um, just lots of other stuff. Uh, and I was just reading heaps and listening to as much as I could around business entrepreneurship. Richard Branson was one of those ones that I looked up to um, as a kid because he's one of the well-known only ones that you kind of was like, you know, there's heaps of them today. But back then he was like, he was living on an island, which is, you know, one of the things I love. I just love tropical islands. So he's living on an island, living this dream life um, as an entrepreneur, starting lots of businesses. So for me, he was a pretty big inspiration. Um, And then uh, wine thing kind of came in in my teenage years. Um, it was kind of force-fed by family members. They, you know, I was way too young to drink and they were just kind of lining me up with wines and getting me to try and pick the re- region variety, um, vintage and stuff because they were in the industry. And so I later found out that my ancestors planted some of the first vines in the Barossa. Um, oh. So it's part, of, it's part of my DNA too, like entrepreneurship and wine kind of perfect match for me. And um, so eventually just fell in love with wine, um, studied it at uni, um, worked in wine shops, held tastings for people, became a real wine nerd um, pretty early. And then, um, but I was de- at some point in my early 20s, I was like, I'm not sure if it's like a passion or a profession. Like, you know, you can still love wine and not have to work in it. So um, I was getting, I was getting itchy feet. And so I was like, I'll try something else. Um, and so I, I studied financial markets, became a stockbroker for a while. Uh, did that with uh, as the tech boom was happening in the late 90s. You're probably much too young to remember this stuff. Um, uh, tech boom in the 90s. I was there for the tech crash in the early 2000s. So I looked like a genius and I didn't. Um, and then I got into property development and uh, I, I convinced I convinced a guy to sell me two big parcels of land with no money down, um, pre-sold them off the plan, made millions, um, then, then lost it all. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what? You're done with everything. No yeah. fucking way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How old were you then? Like, how did that happen? Uh, that was uh, mid-20s, I reckon, mid-late 20s. And so, yeah, I was, uh, so I, I, like, the tech boom was good. So, like, I picked, like, I was interested in e-com and tech companies and they all did really well in the late 90s. And then early 2000s, it was the tech wreck, you know. It was like the, everything came down. And so most of the shares I invested in and was sitting on went to pretty much nothing. And so I was like, woo, and then down. Um, and if I had a little bit of money left, I used that to do the like concept drawings and the council planning and stuff for the property development. Because after the tech wreck, I was like, this isn't fun anymore. <laughs> Every, everything's red, you know, like all the numbers on the screen were red instead of green. And so I was like, no, that's not fun. So let's go and do something else and try. And a few friends were doing property development, um, like kind of older friends. So I was like, ah, oh, teach me how to do this. Um, and I, and I, just convinced um, people to do it with no money down and commission free until settlement and things like that. And all of a sudden, you know, I'd, I'd built 43 places and um, had, made all, <laughs> had made a bit of money. Um, and then through a, you know, a decision with my heart, not my head, I lost it all. I backed someone that I cared about deeply. And, um, and long story short is um, silly decision that I made when I was young and I went from everything to nothing pretty quickly. You've really done the whole roller coaster of being a, an entrepreneur or doing your own thing. Like that's fucking crazy. Yeah. What do you do about <clears throat> picking yourself back up? And is it more of the people who are in the game? This is the game that you're playing. If shit happens, you've got to you got to buckle yourself up. And next day, you got to get back on the horse and do it again. Is that the sort of the thing of how you went through it, or are there moments like fuck this, I'm going to go get a job? 
Uh, yeah, there, there was uh, not in that particular time. Like I, I, I said, fuck this, let's go and get a job about three years into trying to start Vino. Um, but that was that was because I'd started three other businesses and each kind of was really important to what would become Vino Mofo, but none of the first three models kind of worked very well. Um, so at one point there, I was like, oh, this is just too hard. I'll, maybe we should go and get a job. Not because I wanted to get a job, but because my entire extended family were kind of um, relying on this and there was only so many shitty Christmases you can have with, with no presents and, and pretty average food. Um, so, we, so at that point I did, but when the, you know, in the late 20s before I got back into the wine industry and, you know, had to sell all the houses and cars and, and all I was left with was scooter and clothes, um, was, that was hard. That was really hard because I was really young and I hadn't, like, you know, I'd seen some hard times as a kid seeing, you know, family go through stuff. But um, for me personally, it was a big hit. And so I just did, you know, what any kind of probably any idiot 20-something-year-old would do. I just went and partied um, and drank too much and partied a little bit too hard and um, tried to avoid and escape the reality that I was in. Um, and so I managed to do that pretty successfully for a couple of years. <laughs> and then I realised um, realized that it wasn't really heading me in, the, in very many good directions. Um, and I kind of relied uh, and thought about, you know, the stuff that I'd learned over the years because I'd, I'd just poured over and consumed so much um, around self-help and, you know, personal development. And, you know, I'd read everything, listened to all the courses. I'd spent time on, you know, the island of Tony Robbins and, and all those types of things just to kind of, it'd been a passion for so long. So then I knew I was being an idiot, and, but it took a moment in time when I was walking out of my, um, my house, which was really important to me. You know, I had a few of them, but it was, this one was really important to me because it was my first um, and that's kind of a significant moment um, in my early journey was to own that and leaving the house and every, all the furniture and stuff was out. And um, I was I was leaving with a bag and onto my scooter, um, which was the only asset I had left. And um, you know, from that, from very cool stuff to that was hard. And so I remember leaving the house and I walked past a mirror um, in my main bedroom because I was kind of saying goodbye to the house. I, I was saying goodbye to the like, kitchen and the lounge room and the second. I was you know like just final goodbye. I wasn't actually walking into the room going goodbye, but, um, <laughs> but, but I was, you know, doing that kind of thing where you're like, all right, this journey's over. I've got to leave. Um, and this will be the last time. So I did that. And I walked past the main mirror in the bedroom. And I looked at myself and I did a double take because I wasn't looking very good. Um, and I was like, oh shit, this is where I am. And I remember this exercise that I did um, I think I learned it from Tony Robbins' course at some point or some one of the other million things I've read around that stuff. Um, and it was like the man in the mirror kind of thing and you, uh, and you do, which is the name of the poem as well, but uh, it's, a, it's a thing you do, you get in front of the camera, uh, camera, get in front of the mirror and you imagine continuing down the same path um, as you're currently on for 10 years or 20 years and you do it in kind of like, all right, in one year and three year, five, 10, 15, 20 um, and so I was living pretty badly. And so, you know, um, I imagine myself in a year and, and then three and five and you start getting really small and really depressed. And, um, and by the end of it, you've probably got tears in your eyes. Well, I know I did. And you're, you're feeling very, very small. Um, and then you kind of reverse it back out um, and then imagine doing the like changing and doing the right things and starting to live the right way and making good decisions and starting to build again and do one, three, five, ten, and you start standing taller and um, you start getting your shoulders are back and you start getting confident. And then by 20, you're jumping up and down with excitement about the future. So there I am, like walking out of the house, 
saying goodbye and I'm like, woof, let's go get it. <laughs> reborn. Yeah, reborn in that moment. And, um, and then the other, jumping on my scooter. Um, and uh, then the other, the other exercise I did in that moment was there's something called um, you pretend you wear like a Superman cape because um, it changes like the way you walk, the, your body language. So I'm like, well, you know, just imagine it. Like it's, it's, um, if, if I was in the, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're like, doing you know, the curl flick, I reckon. Yeah, it's, it's like, you know, because you have to stand a certain way and walk a certain way to keep, you know, the, the cape kind of whatever. Uh, and so there I am like jumping up and down with excitement, not quite jumping up and down, but pretty excited and walking out with my Superman cape on, jumping on a scooter to ride away from the last asset that I had <laughs> been sold from underneath me. And there, and I, I pull up and I remember the lowest point was, um, you know, probably that moment until I kind of, you know, reversed it. But um, I pulled up, I was heading on my scooter after leaving to um, what was the early days of another thing that I was doing. And um, I pull up for the traffic lights and it starts raining. So I'm, I'm on my scooter in T-shirt and shorts um, with my only bag of assets driving to a job that's like a business that wasn't working and it starts raining. I'm like, oh, my God. And then this car pulls up and it's got a family in it with a kid in the back. And the kid turns around and says something to the mum and dad and points at me. I was like, this is my lowest point. Um, but then I was like, ah, but here we go. And so that was kind of like another kind of pivotal turnaround moment. And um, so, yeah, when you ask, what did I do? I lived really badly until I couldn't anymore and I fixed it. <laughs> well, what's the best thing about like a blank canvas? Like there's something magical about going, hang on. And then like, I think it's relieving the anxiety of what the next steps are. Like, how do I get, how do I solve this problem? Like emotionally as well. Yeah. Like you would have been like, like now I can see in the next five years, if I start to do this, I can make it happen. Is it the, it's the confidence, isn't it? Yeah, I think the you know, it's re- I think what's really important is when you've got nothing, you've got nothing to lose too. Yeah. <laughs> so when you go from having stuff and becoming a little bit more conservative, et cetera, um, which a lot of people do, um, I think when you when you don't have anything again, you're like you've got the you've got the freedom to to play. You've got the freedom to take massive risks because if it doesn't work, what does, what does it matter? You know, you've got you, you you're basically where you are. So I reckon it's like the freedom's pretty cool, but also um, you know, there's a lot of responsibilities that come with things that are failing. Um, and once that's cleared up and cleaned up, you know, you have the opportunity to start again and have a real crack. So where did Vino Mofo start? Tell us about the first early years of Vino Mofo. Uh, Vino Mofo was launched in 2011. It was an idea um, I had in 2010. Uh, it was off the back of three online wine businesses that um, we did before that. And uh, the first one we launched in, I think, 2006. Uh, so pretty early in that kind of space. But it, it started, the original one was called Quaff, And it was like Facebook for wine. And it was like building, bringing a community of wine lovers together that wanted to talk about wine in a different way. Um, and it was off the back of me discovering Facebook when I was traveling in South America and going, oh, I think this is going to be big. Should have invested in ships some shares then, um, but didn't. Uh, and came back to Australia and said, oh, I want to get back into the wine industry. Um, and so I'm really interested in online and wine. And so I'll do that. I'll bring it back. And um, with Quaff, um, that was the first one that we did. Um, and then that one was, I think, uh, like it was, a, it was a great way to build a community. It started off the brand, which was like no bow ties, no BS, be super passionate about wine, but just don't be a wanker. 
that was where that came from. And, and that was born out of me being a wine nerd in my mid-20s and walking into like wine stores, you know, like independent wine stores where they have all the kind of interesting wines if you're a bit nerdy about it. And, um, and looking for, you know, Barolos and Barbarescos and Chablis and, or even stuff a bit more funky and interesting. And there was always this old guy with rosy cheeks and wearing a bloody bow tie and shirt um, who got his entire self-worth out of making you feel small about knowing more about wine than you. And I was like, man, if, if I feel, and I felt slightly intimidated and I thought if I feel intimidated like this and I know a lot about wine for a 25-year-old, you know, like I, you know, there's plenty of people that know a heap more than me that are older, but for 25, I know a lot. And if I feel intimidated, imagine how everyone else feels. And I was like, that's bullshit. And so if we're going to keep doing that, we're not going to welcome in like this new generation of wine lover and um, into the industry. Um, and that's doomsday for the industry if we aren't doing that. So I was like, oh, um, let's, let's kind of open it up. Let's start talking about wine in a different way. And like, you can be so passionate about something, but you don't have to be a wanker about it. You know, like you can be open-minded, you can be open to welcoming people in, you can be talking and fascinated by wine because it is, it's an, it's an incredible thing, wine, um, and, but you don't have to be a wanker. And so that's where that kind of came from and that's where Quaff kind of came from. That was like, let's talk about wine uh, with people that are like-minded to us and let's get rid of like that rubbish old pompous bullshit that surrounded the industry and let's just talk about it and have fun. And so that was Quaff. Um, we built a good audience out of Quaff. Um, the business model sucked. Um, and then I started something. The next thing that kind of that led on to, and these are all really important because, like, the first one kind of built this great audience of, like, young wine lovers. And then the second one was called um, Road to Vino. I'd, um, it was like an online wine travel show. And so that would launch in, like, 08 or 07. Um, and that was I'd always wanted to buy a combi, travel around Australia surfing and tasting wine. That had been a dream of mine, so I was like, let's do that. Um, and uh, and uh, so that's what we did and we filmed it and then we got sponsorship. So here's a couple of guys travelling in a combi around Australia just basically sleeping on couches, drinking too much um, and, and learning about wine and putting it on camera. That was um, like dream job. Again, not an incredible business model, but it paid for itself, you know, like and it was the thing that really built our network of like wine producers um, like, because when you're filming something and like you guys recording your podcast, you go, like, who do I want to speak to? And you either go with like the legends of the industry or the up and coming rock stars of an industry or, or space. And so that's what we did. We were like, cool, who do we want to meet? Um, so we just went, oh, we want to meet oh, Peter Lehman, the late, great Peter Lehman. We want to meet him. We want to meet Brian Crowe. These names might not mean much to you, but in the wine industry, these are like the legends. And then we want to meet all these up-and-coming rock stars like Andrew Thomas at the time, who's now more of a legend than a rock star. But um, it's like who are the all up-and-coming interesting winemakers and let's film this show around them and tell their stories. And that's what that was. And that was Road to Vino. And that built this network of great producers. Um, then that flipped where, in. Where were some of the places you got to go for that? Where, like, What was the cool? Do you have like any one memory that stands out from that trip? Uh, There's a few. But um, like the Hunter Valley was the first region that we did. Um, you know, being a South Australian boy, um, I should have started in the Barossa, but it was, um, it, we started in the Hunter Valley and uh, I remember doing the tasting with Andrew Thomas, um, who's now a real legend, and then also doing tasting with Tyrrells, which you would have, like everyone knows Tyrrells mostly, and um, they're really famous. One of their great wines, probably the most famous wine is the um, uh, Vat One Hunter Semillon, and it's like 
one of the unique you know gifts to the wine world um, from Australia is as like the um, the great like Jancis Robinson's famous wine critic kind of refers to it. Um, it's like it's one of the really special wines. Like Hunter's a terrible area to grow wine in. Like it just is. It's a terrible place to grow grapes in. And so they've adapted um, how they pick and when they pick, and that's created this style, which is Hunter Semion, which is like lemon juice when it starts, when you release. But if you keep it for 15, 20 years, it's magical. And so anyway, long story short is I was hanging out with Chris Tyrrell and he he opened up a couple of really old bottles and I got the, I got the opportunity to try one of the great wines in the world and many vintages of it with one of the family members. And I just, I remember that, um, that moment was really fun and really special, but he's also a really fun guy. Um, so we, you know, just drank plenty and had fun and he's still a mate today. So I think that's probably one of those memories that stands out. You know, well, how important is like storytelling then in wine, like where it comes from, like how it's done, like the process on how it's all sort of made up and brewed and, and the family tradition and all that sort of stuff and the stories, like the brand, like, how important is storytelling in wine? Incredibly, as it is in a lot of industries, but particularly in the wine space, I think, because um, it is about families. It is about history. It is about, you know, if you think about wine and the experiences you've had around wine, um, like some of the great moments in your life, or at least in my life and a lot of people I know life, um, have been surrounded by great wine too. And so it takes on so much more than just what's in the bottle, you know. It, it takes so much more uh, than that because it's like it's it's an experience, it's a history, it's a, um, you know, it's a bottled moment in time too. If you think about the different vintages and the different times that you're opening up when you open up a bottle of wine, um, I've had some incredible experiences with like, you know, um, families that have been in this industry for hundreds of years and and they'll open up like a, you know, a wine that was made during the First World War. You know, and you're like, holy shit, can you imagine what was going on at the time they made this wine? And then so it takes and, you back to a place. Like yeah. you experience it and you're thinking about it and everyone's sort of sharing in like, imagine what this would be like back yeah. then. And yeah. then imagine opening a couple of those with your closest friends or your father or your or your family and and 10 years later, you know, they might not be with you or, you know, your, your lives have gone in different directions for your friends or something like that. And it kind of, I've got bottles that represent um, friendships that I had at certain times in my life because we opened a lot of that particular wine and sat around the kitchen table talking shit when we all lived together. You know, I've got, I've got those wines and there's, it's just so much more. And then you've got the history of the actual family producing it and the vines that are, some of these vines are, you know, 150, 170 years old. They're older than us and they're older than our grandparents, you know, and they're older than anyone that's probably ever made it today in how the oldest person that's ever lived, you know, these vines are older than that. Um, and they change over time and they get like old and gnarly and the wines that they produce are super interesting. Um, and so I don't know, there's just so much to it. So, and I could talk for hours, but I won't. Well, for those at home who are, who, uh, maybe they're not wine experts, where would you start if you want to learn about how to, t- how do you taste wine? How do you, what are the things you should be looking for? Um, oh, there's, yeah. So I, I think firstly, just do you like it? You know, like, honestly, it's, it's one of those things. And I, I thankfully the, the, the wine world's changed a little bit, um, in the last kind of 20 years since I've been involved in it, um, more heavily. Um, and I think what, what used to be that real kind of, um, like old world snobby, um, kind of pretentious BS around wine is far more open and friendly and welcoming now. And people are, you know, producing wines 
now with, without um, necessarily sticking to the scientific and traditional way of doing things. And people are experiencing wine because this new kind like, and newer generation of drinkers, I guess, uh, uh, don't actually have that experience, like that older kind of protected experience. So they're kind of more open-minded, I think, to trying things, um, which I think the part, older parts of the, of the wine industry sometimes struggle with. Um, but so I think like, like the next generation or the new generation or the current generation of kind of new wine drinkers are coming at it in probably a really good way to where they've, where generations before may have come at it because they're a bit more open-minded and there goes a dog in the background. <laughs> um, they're a bit more, um, they're a bit more probably, I guess, open-minded or like less restricted as to what you're supposed to be looking for or enjoying in a wine. But having said that, look, if you want to learn about wine in, in that kind of in another way and get like more deeply involved and understand it, um, then there's lots of great courses you can do and heaps of stuff online now. But look, I've, I've, I've found just tasting a lot of wine <laughs> helps. <laughs> how do you taste it properly? Like, what's the proper swirl technique? How do you how do you sniff it? How many sniffs do you give? What do you think about when you're sniffing it? Look, how do you like, spit it out? Um, there's so many answers to all of those questions. <laughs> what's the process? Uh, look, I don't know. Just get, if it's young, give it some air. Um, you know, there's this one. The one of the great um, one of the great misconceptions in the wine space is that only older wines need a decanter and that's just rubbish. So they're, they're for different reasons. And so like, so starters, like if you've got an old wine and it's got sediment in the bottle, then a decanter is really good from to separate the sediment because sediment's like not that enjoyable in an older wine. So you kind of like put it in there, let it settle and pour it into a glass once it's settled and they're old. They don't need much air. They've had plenty of time to kind of age. Um, now, then you fast forward to like newer wines. Newer wines usually um, need some air or at least get better with some air. So a lot of people go, oh, older wines are decanted. No, it's actually younger wines that need it for like to freshen it, to liven it, to open it up. And it's kind of like this accelerated kind of aging, I guess, um, to kind of release this bouquet. So I'd say the first bit is older wines remove the sediment. Don't let them um, get too much air because they're, they're old. They're a bit more fragile and they'll actually fall over quicker. Newer wines can handle more air um, and you don't need to separate the sediment because obviously there's not a lot of that sediment from ageing. Um, so chuck it in the canter, give it, give it a splash around so it gets some air. Pour a glass, I think, uh, swell it around because it kind of releases the aromas. One of the kind of things, like I know it sounds like wine wank, but uh, glassware actually makes a big difference. Like, you know, depending on style um, and depending on what kind of wine experience you want to have, glassware actually makes a, a big difference. Like if, and we run tastings at Vino to show our team and show our mofos like how much of a difference it makes. Um, it's quite phenomenal. Um, but if you're not being super fancy, you just want to drink a red and it's easy, um, you can put it in whatever glass you want and, and just enjoy it. But um, What's the gonna, perfect thing then? Like what's the perfect glass then? Uh, well, you know what? If you check out like Riedel, um, which um, is a glassware company that's been around for a long time. They've got variety specific, varietal specific glasses. So yeah. like they've got a Pinot glass. Um, so, you know, like try Pinot Noir in a Pinot glass and it's like phenomenal. Try Cabernet in a Cabernet glass. It's, it makes a difference. And then a really fun game if you want to get nerdy is to try different glasses and then try different wines within the different glasses and see if you can pick it. I did a blind tasting years ago for Vino Mofo TV or Quaff TV before that. And we tried, we had all different glasses lined up and we were blindfolded. And then we had someone 
do all the kind of changes over with glasses and we picked all of them. We were like, that is the best one, that is the best one, that is the best one and it was a varietal, variety wine glass every time. It make, it's such a, and we were back then we knew very little compared to what we know now and it was just one of those moments where I was like, oh, shit, it actually does make a difference because people, when you tell people that, they're like, ah, oh, that's wine wanker bullshit um, and then you get them to do it and they're all like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> That's, that's how you meant to drink it. That's the that's the that's the way. I need more storage. Oh, hundred percent. You yeah, I'd love to see your cupboards. That just be oh, full yeah. I've, I've, I've got a um, I've got this a very big cupboard that holds all my like decanters and wine glasses. It's just dedicated to that. It's it's big. Um, it's one of my it's my guilty pleasure. You know, some people invest in you know like artwork and stuff, but decanters are my artwork. Um, I love them like this. You wouldn't let Locke around in your house. He walks around the his cr- <laughs> his thinking activities. He walks around with a cricket bat, practicing his cricket shots. Yeah, but do you put? Do you have a big industrial dishwasher? Wouldn't you? Or is that just <laughs> oh, all? Mate, it's, no, it's all by it's all by hand. It's oh, all by so hand. You'd have, you'd surely you surely need just a part time dishy on. Yeah, yeah in well, the office, bang. I occasionally, no, yeah, yeah. We've got a um, our glasses here are a bit more sturdy. They're still great glasses, but. Um, the, we've got like uh, washers here that do it all, but at my house I hand wash them. Yeah, I'm starting to sound like a wine maker when I started out to just not be one. Hey, you're old, <laughs> no, you're old school. I like it. But take us back. So then Vino Mofo started. Like it's oh, like back to that journey. I feel like I want to know about that <laughs> before we, you know, like you were sort of getting into something good. We went we went in another direction, but I want to get back to that because how did how did that sort of how did okay, it start? So- all right, so then, sorry, so I did Quaff and then I did Road to Vino. Then I did another mobile check-in app called the Great Australian Wine Adventure that was like offering people, like it was, you know, when you can check into places, um, yeah. like on Facebook and Twitter and Insta, whatever, like checking into a location. Back in the day, there was two, one was called Gowalla, the other one was called Foursquare. Um, so they were the kind of the early versions of that. I created one of those for the wine industry called Great Australian Wine Adventure and you check into wineries around the country. Um, and so what you did when you checked, when, what you got when you checked in was like a wine offer, like a, a back vintage tasting or a free cheese platter or a tasting with the winemaker. And it was really cool. We had like um, probably 20 or 30,000 people um, who signed up for that and a couple hundred wineries. And what that kind of introduced was wine offers based on location. And so the reason I told you all that preamble is because each of those, while I thought at the time was the idea, became an element of the final idea, which was Vino Mofo. And so the first one was about building an audience. The second one was Road to Vino was about building a network of great producers. And the third one was about offering deals to our audience. So we just brought all of those combined into Vino Mofo in 2010, 2011, which was basically deal a day for an audience of premium to supreme wine lovers um, that was based around my brand, that brand of no bow ties, no BS, be super passionate, but don't be a wanker. And it kind of took off. So we launched. Uh, so we launched in 2011 in April. Um, the first offer we did, because we had the audience already, we were like, oh, the first offer we did, oh, if we just sell, you know, 10 or 20 cases, that would be amazing because it was like a deal a day. And then we sold like, I don't know, 40. And, and we were like, whoa, that's a lot of wine. That's, that's more wine than we've sold like in the last three months. Um, and we're like, oh, but we probably like we've sold all the wine. We'll probably sell to our audience because that's a lot of wine. And then the next day we did another deal and we sold more. And we're like, whoa, that's crazy. Um, and, and then the third day we sold more. And every time we're like, oh, surely like everyone's got all the wine they're going to buy. But no, they just kept buying more wine and more wine. And then um, and it kept doubling and doubling. And it, all of a sudden we were selling quite a bit of wine. 
Um, and then we like competitors started getting a bit shitty um, and started trying to go to our producers and tell them not to deal with us. Um, and if they deal with us, yeah, crazy. Um, we had a couple of, one of the big guys um, in the industry was um, not very nice and would threaten suppliers to not deal with us or they'd pull all their stock off their shelves. So, we're, so yeah, so basically we'd have producers calling us up crying, going, can you please pull it down? Um, we only had a deal of that at this stage. So we're like, so if we pulled it down, that was our day sales. Um, and so we're like, okay, but they're friends and family. So we're like, of course we will. So we'd pull it down and, um, and then we'd do a second deal for that day. And that's how we realized that two deals a day is, is better than one. Um, so yeah, double that. Yeah, maybe, double maybe that. 10 deals a day. I don't yeah. know. Let's yeah. branch out. It's funny. Yeah. <laughs> funny you should say that, but that's what we did. Um, and, and, but what, what we also realized at the time was we needed to um, uh, find a way to sell wine without the big guys getting onto the producers. And so we created what was called the secret deal. And we would sell a wine saying like, you know, it's, we, we wouldn't show the label and we'd go like, it's 96 points from James Halliday, it's a Barossa Shiraz and it tastes like this and it's incredible wine available now from this price to this price, go. And, it, and, and we did that to hide it from our competitors so they didn't complain to the producers and make us pull it and it doubled sales because the people loved it and like whole forums were coming up on online to try and work out what our secret deals were. So it became this game and it was like super exciting. So the competitors trying to do us over actually helped us a tremendous amount and so we grew even faster. Um, and then they started, the competitors started buying the wine so they could then find out what they were. And so one of, so yeah. some of our best customers were our competitors. <laughs> Oh, like that, that, you would have been hyper just like oh, i fucking own this shit i've yeah. caught them i've caught them out i've done this this is like but, they're the little wins you need to be celebrating though that's great that's genius yeah well that and so it kind of like we'll go that's fantastic because it helped us it was pretty funny but then when they found out what they were because they were getting them they've then called the producer and do the same thing so we're like oh um how do we go around like this is a this it, it, Great things happened from it, but we still need to fix the underlying problem, which is bigger people threatening suppliers. So we then um, uh, went looking for capital or a partner because we knew that what we needed to get to was certain scale. So then when we were buying from wineries, it was so much that wineries could then tell the other guys where to go if they were saying, oh, we're going to pull your stock. And we're like, well, you know, if I buy so much, I don't care. You know, that's what we needed to get to. And so that's what we did. Um, and I could tell this, there's probably four hours of this journey story. So I might hand it back over to you to ask you, which, which is the important bits that you want to know. Well, no, because we spoke to. <laughs> we, yeah. We, yeah, we were lucky enough earlier in the, earlier in the year. Earlier in the year. Last we're, year? Last year, man. What yeah. year is it? I don't know. Like, what day is it? <laughs> <laughs> um, we spoke to Gabby Leibovich and we got, we got to hear the story of Catch and how that all came about. And, and Catch played a, a role in the journey of Inomofo early doors. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, basically when we went looking, it was a nice place I left it off because when we went looking for um, a partner, um, we that's how Catch of the Day came about. So about a, like six months or a year in was when we went looking for money or a partner and um, we chatted to the Angel Network um, who were kind of like, you know, you've got like seed funding, like in the funding space, you've got like seed funding, um, which happens kind of like from family or friends or then angels. Um, and then after that, you got VC and private equity and whatever else. But um, so we chatted to some angels um, for, a, for a small round, but they took, but they, they were all very keen. Um, you know, we'd pitched them three other business ideas that there was crickets. 
Um, and then we, we showed them Vino and they all went, yep, yeah, we want in. Um, and we did that, uh, but they took so long to get the money organised that we were, as we were bigger than, we were selling more than what we were raising. And we were like, oh, well, we don't need that anymore. What we actually need is proper scale. Um, so then we got approached by a big media company. We almost did a deal with them until um, uh, Catch of the Day founder and this, the CEO at the time called it and said, don't do that deal. Don't do that deal. Um, we're better than them for all these reasons. And we were like, well, actually, you probably are. Um, and the other company's taking too long. So um, we ended up selling them. They, they wanted 100% of the company. And we were like, no, we, we want to still have equity. So we sold them 70%. Um, went into the, to the catch group and we were like the wine part of it. So they had like mums and babies and groceries and like everything. Um, and we were the wine part of that for about a year. Um, and then we brought ourselves back. <laughs> so, um, so we, 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 we went in and um, it, we learned a heap. It was really fun. We're on a great trajectory anyway. You know, we went in, I think, at a couple mil rev and we left it like, you know, like I think we went in at about four and I think we left it at about eight. So we doubled in a year, but we were on that trajectory anyway. Um, yeah. And uh, But learned a heap and um, Gab is a good guy. Like we're still friendly um, and, uh, and, and Hezzy, his brother's great too. So like great experience and that was lovely in the end to let us out, to be honest. We were like, well, it's like it's kind of been fun, but like we're so small compared to like your beast of a thing um, that, you know, it just kind of feels like we're just here, you know, and we'd, we want to take it back and own it. And they understood as founders, you know, they started in a garage, basically two brothers um, and similar to us kind of they're founders, they're entrepreneurs, they've done crazy good things. Um, and, you know, we were a little like a pimple on, you know, um, <laughs> on this giant beast. Um, they understood, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and so and they were just like, like I mean, Gabby's so funny. He's such a salesy uh, trader. He's like, he just basically was like, he, he was, it was like, Vino was so unimportant in the scheme of things of their business. Um, and when we're like, oh, we're kind of thinking about, you know, because they were changing their focus in business. You know, they'd gone all vertical, and then they'll kind of bring it all back into the main beast of catch, which was a good decision. Um, and so we didn't really know where we sat. We're like, oh, we want it back anyway. So chatted to Gabby. Um, and up until that point, you know, Vino was like, oh, it's a small little thing. It's kind of fun. Um, and then as soon as we wanted to buy it back, it's like, oh, but it's a good business. That's going to be expensive. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can just imagine that. Oh, I can definitely picture that's that. That's funny. Oh, yeah. that's crazy, man. So you've that, you've had quite a journey, man. That's I feel like we're story. talking to a buddy veteran. You know what I mean? He's a fucking yeah. I'm old enough. Yeah, a few battle scars. You know, he's been he's in the lay of the land. Um, I, the, yeah, I'm old enough to be a veteran, but I've still got a lot to learn, I tell you. But um, the, uh, the, and then the next stage after we brought it back, it just went really super well. Um, we won heaps of awards, um, grew, like kept doubling in size. Um, I think when we left, we left with about know, eight people. Um, we're circa 100 now. Um, the, the, I think we, we doubled every year for a few years when we got out and we won like the fastest growing tech company in Australia over a three-year period, um, you know, and about 40 or 50 other things. And it, times were good. Like times were really good. It was exciting. We were doing new stuff in the industry. 
Um, we had a gro- like a fast growing um, audience of like community of mofos. It was just a really fun time. And, you know, but then at some point you've got to grow up as a business and try and remain young, but still kind of grow up because, you know, at that point we were dancing on tabletops at 3am at the, you know, at the office, whereas you pretty much can't do that these days. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, like. Times have changed, huh? Yeah, times have changed. With the mask on, eh? <laughs> yeah. You kind of, like, it's, 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 it's like I, I kind of think of that time as like our, you know, uh, our difficult, naughty teenage years. Um, and, you know, we're in our 20s. We're still super excited and energetic and we've got a lot of cool things ahead of us. But you still kind of, you still going to grow up a little bit as a business um, from, you know, two guys in a garage um, to 100. There's a few things that change. But um, I think the most important thing is to remain like, remain um, focused on being like a, having a great culture that's about fun and energy and excitement. Um, but just, you know, there's a few things you've got to do right that you didn't used to have to do. Well, talking about cult, you're winning the awards, fastest growing tech company, oh. talk, the importance of culture in this space. Like I feel like there's a lot of people who slap some things up on a wall and talk about like. I would have about, that everywhere. I'd have that in my toilet. I'd have it in, <laughs> I'd have it in my bedroom. But like how important was it was for you to build or like why is it what you've built there, what you and the team have built at Vinamofo special and actually attracting the right type of people and, and growing the right type of culture? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, uh, we've got the same things up on the, on, on the wall. You know, it's like, step up, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. Step up, care more, keep it real, do some good, have fun. Like, that, that's our kind of credo. But, but I think what's actually worked, because so many other companies have things up on the wall, but um, what's actually worked really well has been we built this for us. You know, like, this, this is who we are and what we wanted. Like, we, we like to disrupt spaces. We like to be the challenger brand. We like to have fun. We fucking love wine, you know. Like, and this is, so if you look around at our team, they love wine. They love having fun. They're a challenger brand. They, they, they like to disrupt. They love, they have great energy about these things. And so it's like we love producers. We love telling stories. Like it's, it's our DNA to do those things. And I think that's what's important. Like it's all well and good coming in and like, you know, your head of culture or HR or they put something up on a wall. But unless you live and breathe it as a leader, unless you live and breathe it as like team leads and as your team, um, it doesn't mean shit. And so I think if you build it from an authentic, and I hate that word, but an authentic place and it's what you really believe in and live, then that's what makes a difference. People oh. can tell the difference. Well, it'd be so hard to fake it. Imagine if you weren't like, imagine how much extra work that is to try and fake like fun when you're not really that having fun. Like you want yeah. it to be, like like you said, like startup space, you're playing in a field that you're actually interested in. And, and I think for a lot of people, when they see them things up there, we, them we dropped a meme the other day. It was like when someone, when your boss organizes a 4.30 p.m. Friday fun, um, team building exercise yeah. or some shit, you're like, yeah. fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's talk about like content. What sort of stuff do you, where do you learn? You went through before you, you've you done heaps of different courses. You've gone through different stuff. You like to learn and absorb know you things. Know, you know, where do you look? Are you do you read books? Do you listen to podcasts? YouTube? Like, what are the things that you personally consume? Uh, I, I I do a lot of um, audio books. Uh, I'm a really slow reader. Like, I'm a really slow reader. I'm. I don't know. I like. I, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I'm a really slow reader. Um, my my wife and I will like go away on a holiday, and and I would have read twenty pages, and she would have read like five books. And, and, and literally we had the same time. Like it's, that's how slow I am. So all, like audio books are great for me. 
Um, and I, I consume anything. Like I was looking through Audible the other day because um, uh, I was sharing a long story. doesn't need to be told, but <laughs> I was sharing the account with my wife and, um, and I was looking at all the books I'd read or listened to in the last two years and it's like literally 98% of them were kind of uh, business or self-help books. Like just that's all, that's what I consume um, mm. in terms of books. Uh, podcasts, I listen to a lot of podcasts in the same space as well. Um, I'm like outside of, uh, outside of kind of business and um, self-help, self-development kind of stuff, um, you know, a little bit around obviously wine, um, and a little bit um, around kind of like a little bit interested in like biohacking stuff, but it's more of a just a kind of play um, thing. And um, but yeah, so it's mostly yeah podcasts and audio books. I love doing courses, like you know if I've got the time, which I rarely do, but um, you know I've gone away and and um, done courses all over the world um, just to kind of learn as much as I can. I think. Um, I'm excited by learning. I think it's really important. I think curiosity is like one of the key traits of a great entrepreneur um, and a great business leader. It's like to be curious because then, you know, when challenges come up, you want to understand what they are and how you fix them and why it happened. Um, so I think curiosity is key. So if you're not kind of curious, um, then I think you've got um, a much bigger struggle ahead of you as an entrepreneur and business leader. Um, so being curious basically means you want to consume as much as you can from as many different sources as you can um, and as learn as much as you can. Um, so that's kind of me. Fucking hell. If you, oh, it's just you immerse yourself in it. It sounds like you're addicted to solving problems in the next thing and how can this be better? How can this? It's like, it's an obsession, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. And it's and I was telling someone else the other day about, um, you know, that kind of um, – separation between you know work and personal life and stuff it's, it's really I've never had a separation and that's not a bad thing because it's not I'm not saying that I when I'm with my family I'm not with my family because I 100% am like I'm very present in that moment but I just love everything I do like I love like what this thing that they call work is like it's just like a dream like it's a dream thing to do like I love solving problems I love creating things um, and so I don't want to escape from that. I don't have like nine to five and oh, then I've got to have the weekend. It's like, I just love her. Like my, it's so funny. My wife, when we have like, we, because we've got a young um, uh, daughter and, you know, that's been an interesting journey of lack of sleep, but um, the, it's a beautiful thing, most amazing thing we've ever done. But um, when she has time off, um, so we give each other like time off on the weekend where, you know, you just go and do your thing, you go and do your thing. Her thing might be like, massages or um you know going to a like spa treatments or having lunch with her girlfriends or um whatever else and so mine I, I go to the office like it's my guilty pleasure when no one's here to like whiteboard and strategize and just be here and kind of start thinking about how what else we can do and um it's that's my fun time as well which might be a little bit disturbing but I enjoy it and I love it so it is what yeah, it is. I, I'm the like same that. thing too, man. I try and pretend like I don't like, I'll go for a walk and then I'll be like, I have all these ideas. And I'm like, fuck, I wish I was at home to just write all this shit out. Like, Why, <laughs> why am I pretending like I don't want to do this? You know, because I feel yeah. like you, people make you feel guilty for, for being a workaholic. But at the end of the day, I think like you said, you've had so many ups and downs and stuff through, along the way. So do you think having that full perspective now, that that's what makes you excited? Like things can, it is because it's not always win, 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 is it? It's always so this might no. not work. So you're always testing things, aren't you? Most, most, most of the time it's failures. Like it, most of the time it doesn't work. You know, it's a, it's a few successes that um, actually make the big difference. But it's most of the time it's hard. It is hard. But like I, I love the hard. 
Um, and, you know, like there's stuff that happens that you're not like super pumped about. Of course there is, but, you know, that's life generally. But, you know, the more of those you have, the more you're likely to have the good stuff too. Um, and, you know, like all the people that you meet, you would have met some great people through this. Um, like the people that have really done special things, they didn't have an easy ride. They still mm-hmm. don't have an easy ride. It's fucking hard. Um, yeah. But, geez, the, the good times are pretty, pretty special. Well, everything everything's hard. That's all. A good, a good life's hard. A bad life's hard. Everything's you hard. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. Everything's hard. Think about like like fitness, right? You know, like being fit is hard. Yeah. Like I'm not that good at it. But <laughs> being I'm, telling us, I'm like, telling us. I am horrible at fitness. I yeah, wish yeah, I same. had any type of discipline in that. Yeah. Area. Same. So, yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm I'm terrible at it too, but I feel best when I'm doing it. You know, and it's yeah. like, oh, that sucks, doesn't it? But you have to, and that's kind of shit. But same with business life and, like, you know, and risk and reward. It's like you've got to take a lot of risks to get the reward and there's got to be a lot of challenging days. And, you know, like you've got to just accept that. And, you know, but with that comes great reward. So, you know, same with fitness. Same in with, in those same times where you might be feeling a bit zapped or... Good, good segue. Hey, 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 hanging on to the hand. 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 <laughs> this, is, <laughs> hey, this is a very well-segmented <laughs> section. Don't, don't make jokes, mate. What is your version of Heaps Normal? So our partner show, Heaps Normal, non-alcoholic beer, the question we ask is around what's your version of Heaps Normal? What's the thing that gives you energy back in your life when you feel like you need it? Um, well, firstly, Heaps Normal is a great beer. Um, the uh, I've got friends who invest in. Uh, I'm involved with Start Mate, and so they went through that um, program. And so, like, great company, and they sent me some beer uh, early on. And so, when I'm when I'm being healthy, um, I, I'm I'm drinking heaps normal. So, well done on that sponsorship. That's great. I didn't realize, but um, hey, we're clipping that. We'll put that on YouTube. Package it up. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Good clip. No, 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 no. It's great, great, great company and supported by an amazing people. So, like, well done on that. Um, what's my thing? Um, I like obviously we just talked about. I don't I don't love exercising, but I do it regularly. Um, I do it actually. The one thing that really helps is meditation. I, I'm a big meditator. Um, I do it every day. Um, as well as much as I can. Um, sometimes I, I don't, but like meditation is fantastic. Um, it's I just do it pretty simple, like like guided meditations. That really helps me kind of like separate um, and become more present in the moments I need to become more present in. Uh, so that. Um, so you light the candles and, and go through the whole thing, like get the yoga nah, mat out. Nah? Nah, no, I'm not that. I'm not that fancy. I'm not that fancy. I just I just um, uh, put on you know uh, put on like a guided meditation on my phone and um, and listen to it either you know when I get home or as I'm going to sleep or something like that. Just like five to twenty minutes a day, um, and you don't really notice how good you feel doing it regularly until you stop doing it and you're like, oh, that was helping. Um, so I, like got rid of some, like it made you a bit more present and just like, yeah, like, just empty your head a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And you can, I, I don't know, as we all do with, you know, you track everything these days. So you can track like your resting heart rate and all that. And you kind of see the benefits of all the things that you do, whether it's exercise or meditation that helps. And then the obvious answer is wine. <laughs> wine <laughs> is, yeah. Like, you know what? I just, wine is wine and food. And travel, like those three things is why I do what I do. I just love those things. And I find so much joy in in so many different wines in the world that like it's literally is it's meditative in its own way. You know, like people talk about reading a good book is like is similar to meditation. Like I think enjoying and experiencing an incredible wine is the same. So I'm kind of doing doing like two things at once, like killing, you know, uh, two birds with one stone with that. Like I can, I meditate with my wine, I think is probably... 
Um, oh, if you can only pretty... choose one bottle, what what is it? Or what, what's the one bottle I, you take? I don't like this question. Yeah, you, really, you get the asses all the time. I no, 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 no. I don't like this question because I just couldn't. Like it's, um, I, I couldn't choose because so many different wines mean so much to me um, because of different experiences I've had with different people and different times that you can't. But um, the, the, the quick answer in terms of styles of wines I like, I, I like um, lighter and prettier kind of styles, which um, in terms of like red, if you're, you're talking about like a, a like a Pinot Noir or if you're talking about one of the great styles in the world um, or regions of the world, Barolo or Barbaresco in Italy, um, it's made from a Nebbiolo grape um, and they are kind of like a, like a Pinot Noir with a, um, a little bit more kind of oomph or tannin um, kind of structure. Um, and so probably those kind of styles of wine and I'm absolutely like I've, probably the most drunk wine in my house would be um, Chardonnay based, like either Chablis kind of, you know, from Burgundy in France um, or, or Australian Chardonnays, which is the same thing, just different regions and styles. Um, so I, I could answer like this. Sorry, you said one. I'm not going to keep no, going. No, no. Yeah, yeah, you said do one, you, mate. Can you shut up? Do you, do you put, <laughs> what about ice cubes in the white wine? Yay or nay? Um, uh, nay, but, um, <laughs> that's a heavy nay, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but you know what? Who cares? Like, literally, yeah. if it's hot and the wine's not cool enough and you're not drinking it fast enough, then put some ice cubes in. Uh, my wife and I would, uh, I think last, not last time, the summer before, we went through like a French rose kind of period where we were just drinking so much um, French rose and we we're, you know, out in the sun by the pool. Um, I've, I'll, I'll admit to to everyone listening that there may be some ice cubes in my rosé at some point. <laughs> well, there you go. He didn't want to admit it. But what? Tell us about the platters, though. Are you a carrot salary type of cat paired with the cheese? Like what? The the That's a good question. Yeah. Like what? What's on your platter? I want to know what you're putting on the belly when you're floating around in the pool. <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, yeah. Good question. Um, I, I think the um, depends on the wine. Depends on the wine, but um, I'm pretty casual with my food and wine matches, to be honest. Anything really goes. Um, there's a few that you just like taste here and you're like, that didn't really work. But I reckon anything goes, whatever you want. Like I, that's, I think that's, that's what's nice about wine and like an added, this kind of newer attitude to wine. It's like, you, like, yes, there's some perfect food and wine matches in the world that like you try and you're like, whoa, that's, in, that's it was meant to be. Like, you know, like Pinot and Duck. Like that's like an old traditional kind of combination and you have those together and you're like, yeah, okay, I get it. That, was, that just makes sense. You know, some weird and wonderful combinations work too and I just think whatever works for you. Pinot and Duck, is it, what other, what other combos are there? Oh, there's oysters and Chablis. That's fucking life-changing. Um, so, like, honestly, get some Chablis and get some oysters. And there's this, there's reasons for this. Like, it's, like, super um, um, ancient soils around Chablis and there's, like, there's fossilised oyster shells in the soils. Like, seriously, there's this connection. Like, fossilised oyster shells in the soils of where the grapes are grown and the, the wine that's produced is this perfect match for oysters. It's like I don't know what happens, but it's like a dream come true. So like oysters and isn't oysters that that's and oyster Chablis. sauce, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you put it in your stir fry. Promise me these like for like traditional matches in the world. Um, try oysters and Chablis and Pinot Noir and duck, and those two combinations will show you like a more traditional way of looking at the world. Um, and then I guess try them 
like uh, change it over and see how it works, you know? Like, it, it's, oh, uh, I reckon for lunch today, I reckon we're going to OEC, getting a bit of duck and a pinot, house pinot. What do you reckon? <laughs> I think it would be very good. <laughs> the local food, the local car park Japanese joint that we go to. But hey, we're halfway through the year. It's, uh, you can't believe we're halfway through 2021. Yeah, it feels like it's that. sort of flown. What are you excited about for the rest of the year? Uh, there's a few things uh, with uh, business stuff that um, we can't say too much about, but there's some pretty interesting things kind of bubbling away, which should be done by the end of the year, um, which will, I, yeah, it's going to be fun. Um, and that's all I can say about that. In terms of like personal life, I, I'm looking forward to the world opening up a bit more. I, I miss travel. Um, I don't see that happening globally anytime soon, but um, I'm looking forward to at least travel within Australia so I can see, so we can see our extended family. Um, I'm really excited about that. Um, so they're probably the two things. Business is going phenomenally well. Um, I'm, I'm, it's really exciting. My, my new role is focused on new, interesting growth kind of stuff. And that's what I love. So that's, I'm loving my job. I'm loving the projects I'm working on. And then I'm, I'm really hopeful that the world opens up some more so we can see family and friends and travel. Well, mate, you, got, you. you got the lab coat on, huh? I like that. Oh. Mate, thank you so much for jumping on having I, a chat. It's I been... want that job title for... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm stealing it. <laughs> you, you, need, you need a very good CEO to sit beside you on that, so there's your role. Well, there yeah. you go. Bang. There you go. Well, well done. Thanks. <laughs> well, Confirmed. Mate, I'll leave it at that. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, it's been fun. Hey, I'll tell you what. If someone is interested in understanding the mindset of what it takes to make things happen, have an up, like you said, have an up and down, go through the shit, get through the other end and just make things happen. This was unreal chat. Hey, if you're new to the pod, we drop snacks Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, guest pods, they come at your heart Monday, Thursday. And you know what? We're sort of changing up our rhythm. You just dropped one last week, whatever. Didn't care. No, we don't care. Sometimes, you know, when we're feeling it, we'll just drop it like it's hot. So, you know, whatever. Rules are the rules. Keep you on your toes. Huh? We make our own rules. Who cares?